You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Future Voices podcast brought to you by Bosnia and Futures Foundation. Uh, today's guest is absolutely no stranger to taking chances, and those chances have landed him in some pretty, pretty difficult situations. Igor Stepanovic grew up in Živinice. For those of you that are not aware of Živinica, I hope that you do know, but it is a town in northeastern Bosnia and Herzegovina. But soon enough, as a 17-year-old young man, Igor had to flee his homeland in 1993, all alone, on a bus, we'll hear more about that later on, to save his life. Igor spent the next few years in Germany, where he graduated from high school as one of the best students in his class, excelling in mathematics, IT, and geography. And his life journey took him around the world. He ended up in Australia, exactly in Brisbane, Australia, far north. He's actually in my time zone, which I'm pretty excited about. But there's a lot more to Igor's life. And we welcome Igor today. Igor, welcome to Futures Voices podcast. Hello, Eddie. And hello, Aida. And thanks for having me on your show. I'm really, uh, really glad to be joining your um, podcast. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us. But I just wanted to read out a few more little details that might give people an idea why we decided to invite you to this podcast, being the entrepreneurial uh, individual that you are. But uh, once peace in Bosnia and Herzegovina was established, uh, obviously you didn't go back to Bosnia and Herzegovina. You ended up going to what we call the lucky country, Australia. And since 1996, you've been doing all sorts of stuff here, uh, working in different companies and obviously deciding at some point to start something of your own. And you also graduated with a degree in computer science, uh, landed some pretty cool jobs along the way. In 2010, uh, Igor established a company called GIS People, uh, but your business is focused on delivering professional services, software development, and consulting in location-based services uh, that would eventually lead to establishing some other products and services that you're offering on the market. But in 2014, your company won an Open Innovation Challenge organized and delivered by PwC, a large consultancy, and the Queensland government. So in addition to this, uh, you also received uh, the Lord Mayor's Multicultural Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2014 in Brisbane. And in 2016, you were invited to attend the Global Entrepreneurship Summit hosted by President Barack Obama. And that was in Silicon Valley. It must have been an absolute exciting time to be there. So there's a little bit more about Igor, a lot of cool stuff in his life that we're going to explore in today's podcast. But Igor, let's kick things off with a place that you're obviously very well connected to, and that is Živinice. Uh, you were born there and you, you grew up there. So maybe tell us a little bit about your early childhood before this whole debacle happened and we all had to leave, leave our homeland. Thanks for that wonderful uh, introduction, Eddie. Um, you've really summed up my life so well that I, I feel like I don't have much more to add. Um, but yeah, you're right. Let's, let's start with Jivinice, uh, which is a town that's uh, very close to my heart because um, I spent my uh, first uh, 17 years of my life uh, in Jivinice where I attended um, my primary school and uh, really loved that time. And um, after, after that time, I started... Um, uh, I guess with my uh, gymnasium or uh, uh, Mesha Selimovic uh, in, in, in Tuzla uh, before the um, war broke out, uh, at which point, I guess, like everyone else, uh, my education was put on hold. The war, you know, was raging. 
And I was 17 and there was really not that much for me to really do. Couldn't go to school, couldn't continue education. And uh, I decided to actually go to Germany uh, and uh, finish my studies there because I had a lot of family um, in Germany, as many of you, uh, I'm sure, uh, listeners also uh, follow similar paths. Um, so I, I spent, I guess to cut very long story short, I spent uh, close to four years in Germany, um, finished my uh, middle school studies, high school, and um, eventually, as you pointed out, I came to Australia uh, back in 1996 with, with my family. So that feels, that's uh, actually next month will be 25 years. It feels like a lifetime. Uh, so it's been a very long time since I moved to Australia. Um, when I landed here, I couldn't speak any English. Um, so it was a you know, rather challenging time for me to get used to yet another country and a uh, set of business rules and, and, and educa education is different. So Australian system was very foreign to me. But um, in any way, if, you know, when people are, I guess, focused on something, uh, then, uh, you know, not, nothing is really too hard. So I really wanted to complete my, my education. That was really important to me. So I, I joined uh, <clears throat> QUT um, and <clears throat> I enrolled in a Bachelor of Information Technology, which is what I studied since I, as you pointed out, I always... Uh, uh, loved the computers, mathematics, and geography, and little did I know that combination of those will lead me to my future career, which is what I'm doing today. So the corporate career never really uh, was something that, that I really saw myself doing for the rest of my life. So I always um, had this uh, desire to take one of my ideas um, from the concept into a product or a service. Um, and take it to the market and see how it goes. Uh, as you mentioned, we, we started building our own software. And today, uh, our company counts uh, approximately 35 employees. And we are based in uh, Brisbane, Australia. However, our product is um, available worldwide. And our main markets are North American markets and Asia Pacific, including Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but long before you experienced this success, you had your first hurdle, and that was during the war. Basically, uh, your journey from Jovinica to, to Germany was a very difficult one, and you dodged death in a bus. That must have been really frightening. Um, how did that experience impact the rest of your life and uh, the fighting spirit that you showcase on your daily basis? I guess a lot of people are not familiar with that story, so I, I probably should uh, rather quickly recount it. Um, in 93, um, I believe it was February, late February, uh, in the middle of the winter, I was uh, about to basically go on the bus. And um, as I always like to be early for things, so I, I arrived um, very early and uh, hopped on the first bus. Uh, there were two buses leaving that day. Um, and um, as I left, um, uh, the second bus was meant to catch up to us and we would catch up occasionally. And because the trip took if I recall it, three or four days. It was a rather very, very difficult um, trip through some very difficult areas. Um, there was a lot of fighting going on. Many bridges were destroyed and, you know, only, you know, um, the, 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 you know people improvised with timber logs and, you know, we were going with a bus over it. So it was, was rather scary, I suppose, for a 17-year-old. But what happened is later I found out, uh, I did not know it at the time, but... Uh, first bus that I was on uh, made it through. The second bus didn't, wasn't so lucky. Uh, the second bus was shelled and um, people on that second bus, everyone basically was um, killed. 
So <clears throat> the point of the story, I suppose, to me, and, and what I, you know, I draw a lot of strength from that every day is that, um, uh, you know, when, when I think about problems that we have in, in the first uh, world, uh, it's, um, you know, it's nothing in comparison to, to some of the times that I've been through. And um, um, so uh, that, that definitely uh, had a massive impact on my life. Um, I also like to point out to my kids now and, and, and other people that I know that being early and being uh, on time is, is actually very important for me. That saved my life. Uh, it's, it's, it's obviously difficult to really talk about that, but um, that, that's really what, 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 you know, uh, what happened to me. And um, when I look back I and mean, when I think back of that time, the difference between being alive and being dead really was whether you went on the first bus or the, or the second bus. So, um, so yeah, that, 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 that really had, had a very big impact on me. And, you know, if, if for those people who haven't been in that sort of situation, they, they you know, they, they really, it, it's hard to imagine that. Um, but for, for some of your listeners, I'm sure who are listening to this story, they've probably been through a lot more than I have uh, and, and most definitely have. Um, and, you know, um, sometimes in life, you just have to think of those times. And, and when you do, um, I guess any problem that you are up against today is, you know, pales in comparison to, um, to what some of us have been, you know, in the past. It's an interesting uh, and, and very sad time, I suppose, that, that uh, when I think back, you know, 25, to almost 30 years now. Yeah, I guess one of the one of the big, biggest lessons that you've learned in life, you just highlighted there, being on time every time saved your life in that instance. But I think uh, something like that stays with you forever. It's programmed into your mindset. And it's great that you're passing on that message to your kids. Be on time. But you, you went to Germany after that as a 17-year-old. And I know a lot of people always complain about the difficulty of moving out of home. But you went to Germany as a 17-year-old. What did you have to do to survive in Germany? Yeah, well, I guess I wasn't alone, Eddie, and, and I knew a lot of people from Bosnia who eventually, you know, um, either followed my path or where they uh, arrived there before me. Um, and um, everyone was really fighting for a survival at the time. So you, you, I wasn't really thinking too much about whether it's hard or not. Had, you know, just did what you had to do. Um, so for me, it was the case of, well, I needed to learn the language, um, then I needed to find work, and then I needed to earn some money so I can send some of the money back to my folks in Bosnia. So those are the you know most important things uh, that I just focused on. And um, you know once you put your mind and effort onto something, then you make it all happen. And, and eventually, obviously, after a few years, things get a little bit easier. Um, nothing. Every every start, uh, you know, is always challenging. Whatever you if you, especially if you change the environment, you change the country, you change, you know, the language, um, that, that, that can't be easy, uh, especially on a 17-year-old who, you know, left his parents and sister back uh, in Bosnia. And, um, but, look, I, I thought of myself as a lucky one. I thought of myself as, well, look, I'm, I'm in Germany. I have this opportunity that most of my friends and, um, you know, family don't have so so I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity yes it may seem as hard that I have to you know sometimes wake up at 2 a.m or 3 a.m and work at the local um, factory or a warehouse to pack food that are ready you know for for distribution and stuff like that but hey I'm, a, I'm lucky I'm, I'm alive I'm, I'm not uh, in the war zone and I have the opportunity to 
you know, work and earn money and live a normal life. So that's how I looked at, um, at, at my life at the time. And, um, and like you said, you know, I, 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 you know, you draw strength from, uh, from those past events. That's, that's for sure. Wow, that's, that's really inspiring. But then you moved to Australia and um, in one of your blogs, you talk about the concept of luck and you call Australia your lucky country. Do you believe that entrepreneurs, along with all the hard work, need luck when they work on their new businesses or is there more to it? Yes, the short answer is yes. I think there is a lot of factors uh, that makes uh, a company or a venture a successful one. Um, so, you know, you may have greatest people and greatest idea, but if your timing is off, if you're too early in the market, for example, and the market doesn't understand what you're working on, that's a problem. If you're too late and there are too many competitors, that's a problem. Um, so, yeah, there is absolutely a degree of luck that is involved. Um, but you also make your own luck because when, when you commit to something, uh, you have to make a conscious decision that you will try to make your idea fly. And doing something with 50% of uh, effort isn't going to get you very far, in, no matter what you do. So my, my um, I guess, philosophy is um, I don't believe in, you know, uh, fail, fail fast or, you know, as, as they call uh, um, I, I don't believe in that. My idea and my philosophy is pick something that you believe will work and then put 100% of your effort behind that idea and make it work. Uh, for me, failure in Germany wasn't an option, for example. You know, I'm not one of those types that will sit in the corner and cry and, and, and wait. I, I'm, I, you know, when there is a difficult situation and you need to face up to it, well, that's what you have to do. That, that, that there is to me there, there is a clear choice what you have to do you, you just have to deal with that situation and as an entrepreneur you have those every day you know you have all sorts of challenges you know financial and competition and um you know there's 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 a lot that can happen but uh, you just have to deal with those problems um as as they happen as well as you have to realize that when there is an opportunity you have to grab it with both hands and make the most out of it yeah, in Australia, you you know very quickly realized uh, through working for different companies that you had this entrepreneurial spirit. You wanted to do something on your own, and uh, having look at your business uh, GIS people, the the sort of tagline that got me is really you say we build and deliver world class software solutions where location is the key, and then you follow up with something that I find quite funny but also very attractive. We know where you are. <laughs> Tell us how you came to this whole concept of, okay, I, I, I know software and uh, I finished my schooling and I've worked in certain industries. What made you go into, you know, this geographic information system industry at the time? The, the idea of location-based services is, is not a new idea. I mean, the map, mapping has been around for a very, very long time. Obviously, in a digital form, using computers, um, that, that is more recent uh, type of development, but, but the importance of it is we are only starting to realize uh, the importance of understanding and knowing where things are. And that includes assets, people, um, and, and, and you know, many other uh, things. So the world as, as we know it today uh, really depends on that location awareness 
And so software that works closely with, you know, GPS and, and satellites and is able to harness, you know, those technologies is then able to provide the decision makers with a better information, more timely information, um, and um, gives them a competitive advantage. So the, the space we are in is, is, is all about that, about uh, giving uh, decision makers very good and accurate information and also increasing productivity because when you know where your field workers are or where your customers are or where your assets are and in what conditions they are, um, you can then really be in position to uh, make make very, very informed decisions. Otherwise, uh, you know, you, you, you rely on the traditional forms of decision making, which is usually slow and, um, and hard work. Uh, you mentioned earlier that it's really important to realize whether uh, to be conscious about the markets and its opportunities, whether the market is still too young for a certain product and services and whether the market is already ready for it. How did you identify the opportunity in this market and see it's going to be profitable? I have actually uh, most of my career prior to starting my companies has been in software development with um, with a focus on location intelligence. So I had a fair bit of experience in that market. Um, I also understood the customers. Um, I worked for some large government entities in Australia and uh, also some private corporations. So I, I, I did uh, have that uh, awareness of what, what they were looking for and how they use these kind of technologies. And I understood that, understood that there was a gap uh, in you know, what was currently available at the time and, and what I thought where the market was going. With, with our software, we, we tried to fill that gap and uh, we took that opportunity. And of course, you're right. Sometimes, you know, you can be too early or you can be too late. And timing is, is very, very important in, uh, in with startups. So for us, we knew that uh, there wasn't a lot of competition, that it was a growing market and that, um, uh, you know, productivity software with, with focus on uh, location intelligence was only going to get bigger and bigger. Um, little did we know that last year COVID would come along and that paper-based uh, manual, you know, business processes would be replaced with, um, you know, digital apps, mobile apps and uh, cloud software, which is exactly what, what we are building. So, again, we were lucky. Um, you know, no one could have predicted the events of last year. But again, we worked very hard for you know, several years prior to, to 2020 to actually get ourselves into that position where we had a product that was market ready and, and that it, you know, it was validated through several large customers. And Igor, let's talk about those products because um, your company has basically two really popular products. Obviously, one of them is uh, Gruntify and uh, the other product is Open Declare. And just for, for our listeners, obviously, uh, Igor, you'll tell us a little bit more about the products, but I think you call your Grantify as your flagship product, essentially, and it's changing the way organizations manage their data collection, workflows, and analysis. And Open Declare is a web platform that's used for reporting of political donations and other financial transactions. But uh, tell us a little bit more about these products, which direction they're going in, the sort of clients that you have, and perhaps maybe you know what, where you see these products going in the next few years. What's your what's your strategy with them? Sure, thanks, Eddie. Um, uh, in terms of Grantify, which is indeed our flagship product, meaning we 
spent most of our time uh, building uh, that platform. It, it, it is essentially a productivity platform in the cloud um, that allows assets, jobs, and teams to be brought in and, and set up and then work to be automatically allocated and distributed among the workers, uh, depending on their location, qualifications, tools they carry, and so forth. So that platform has a very broad appeal, um, and it works across many different verticals or industries. Um, so we see uh, a lot of opportunities, and 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 um, right now we are actually going through some large customer acquisitions. So I, I won't go into the detail of that, but th that's a platform that really has a lot of uh, uh, opportunities ahead of it, given the market size and, and what's been happening. On the other hand, OpenDeclare uh, is an interesting little platform that um, <laughs> we built in Queensland initially. It was an Australian first and, and one of the first in the world, uh, real-time platforms that facilitates disclosure of political donations to the political parties and their candidates. So prior to any election, local, state or federal uh, in Australia, um, uh, most politicians and parties are obviously given donations, usually by large corporates. And as we all know, money comes with strings attached, usually. <laughs> and um, by law in Australia, those donations have to be disclosed publicly so that the public uh, can see who donated money to whom prior to the election, uh, just so that in you know when uh, the future government is elected uh, and 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 they, they start um, announcing certain policies, the public has the right to know that those policies are not driven by the donors and donations uh, that they have received. So um, to cut long story short again, um, that that platform, is used in two state by two states in Australia, South Australian government and, and the Queensland government, which includes the premiers uh, of those states and 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 all the ministers and and, and all of the um, opposition and, and local councillors, mayors, and so it's a fairly um, interesting platform. It has also, uh, I guess, a fairly public and broad appeal. Uh, because the public and the media spend a lot of time uh, in, uh, in that system that we've built, and they are looking at you know, creating reports and, and looking at um, the trends and, and, the, and the amounts of money that is given uh, to the parties. And, yeah, so, so where we are going with this is we're obviously trying to capture the Australian market, but this type of technology has potential to be used in, in any inverted commas, uh, democratic country around the world. So uh, mostly the Western countries uh, would have similar laws around the donations. And we believe that uh, the technology of this type could be used uh, literally, you know, anywhere where um, a public disclosure of donations is required or mandated for that matter. Uh, additionally, uh, we are also extending this platform to include uh, the registration of interest, meaning that uh, the publicly elected officials uh, are able to disclose their um, uh, ownerships of properties, cars, boats, shares, and so on, which is again required um, in, 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 to be done in Australia, uh, as well as the registration of gifts, uh, which is separate from donations. So sometimes people are given, you know, uh, trips to to an overseas location or 
some other types of gifts, and those also have to be registered. So again, um, it, it's a platform that facilitates a very complex workflow between uh, several different groups uh, of uh, users and, um, and, 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 and validates the data that's coming in prior, for it, prior to it being made up into a public record. Um, so, um, again, I, I believe that there is there is a lot of uh, uh, interesting uh, use cases um, that that this uh, technology will deliver in the future. Okay, I love this open declare idea. I love it totally. First, um, I love it because of the idea of transparency in it, and um, I have a couple of questions in in this regard. One, how did you make it a business idea? Because usually it would be a think tank that conducts such uh, these types of work and activities. And on the other hand, uh, because of the transparency issues in Bosnia and how politics functions, how could we, especially especially the property ownership and ownership um, laws and uh, transparency around that, how could we apply that in Bosnia-Herzegovina? Um, yeah, very good question. And uh, how did we actually we, we came across this opportunity because the electoral commission, which manages election, was looking for a product that, uh, apart from being able to facilitate this registration and acknowledgement of donations, they wanted to aggregate these donations by the local councils uh, or by other arbitrary like electoral boundaries, for example. Um, and so, and that's done using, you know, geographic means uh, or maps. And so they came across us and we had obviously experienced in, in, experience in, in geography, in IT, in software, and they commissioned the system from us to be built, but we retained the intellectual property in this technology. How, would, how could this be used in Bosnia? Look, I, I believe it could be used exactly the same way um, as it is used in Australia. I am personally not familiar with the um, uh, electoral laws in Bosnia, but I I am fairly certain that people who hold um, you know political functions and and, and, and offices they need to uh, disclose their ownerships of uh, properties or relationships that they have with various companies, organizations, and so on, uh, just for transparency reasons because. Clearly, um, when the public isn't aware of, 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 of those things that I just mentioned, uh, then the public is completely in the dark when it comes to why certain you know, decisions are being made and how they're being made. And in Australia, that's, that's obviously uh, illegal. People go to jail when they forget to update their details uh, on this register. In Queensland, we recently had that uh, in two very large local councils, we had Lord Mayors jailed uh, over, over some issues uh, that, you know, whereby they were hiding information on, on their political donors and donations that they're receiving. So uh, I'm not sure that Bosnia is, 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 has that sort of level of transparency and that, you know, that, that um, right now the country may be ready for something like Open Declare, but I, I, I do believe that moving forward in the future, there is definitely um, an opportunity, uh, depending on you know, how, how the electoral laws evolve, 
to actually have something like open declare in place. Now, that could be on any level. That could be a local level. That could be on the uh, uh, entity level, or it could be at the federal level. Yeah, I'm super excited as well, I have to say. Uh, you know, who, maybe one day software will lead the way in Bosnia and uh, making that whole political system and ownership so much more transparent. But we'll keep a close eye on how your software development in this area is going and global sales as well. But I want to go back to um, uh, entrepreneurship. And we know that every successful story has so many uh, ups and downs. And recently, uh, there was a video published of uh, Elon Musk, where a reporter asked him, you know, how he's overcome the major challenges that he's had at Tesla. And he paused for a second, it almost looked like he was about to burst into tears. And I think every entrepreneur has these moments where they just want to tear out their hair, burst out crying. Can you recall uh, moments where you had, I guess, a failure or, or, or moments where you thought, you know what, I just, this, this is not going to work, I'm going to give up. And then how did you find the energy to just push through? Because I think many young people in Bosnia and Herzegovina as well experience these moments, many of them give up, but what was it that kept you, uh, you know, in the forward direction? Yes, well, I, look, I haven't seen that video, Eddie, but I can certainly relate to, to what you described there. Um, in terms of uh, my, uh, I guess, experience, uh, yes, there's been some challenging moments, absolutely. And one of them was when we almost went bankrupt. We, we, we were close to bankruptcy several times, but on one occasion, we, the company went from a couple of people to about 35 people within a couple of years, so we did you know, we, we were absolutely flying, you know, we were doing so well. Um, but then overnight, literally, because of our exposure to a single market in a single geography, um, we lost two or three large clients within two or three months. And from 35 people, we went down to two. And uh, we literally lost all our work. And, and uh, it was, you know, <laughs> um, it was just a matter of time before we uh, completely disappeared uh, of the face of the planet but what um, what happened then is uh, and then you know Aida mentioned luck earlier what happened then is that uh, the Queensland government in PwC ran this innovation challenge and we joined that challenge and we participated and and won it and then we effectively went from there we, we won a small contract we delivered some uh, prototypes and, um, you know, it, it all went from there. Uh, how did you actually generate one, dia, one idea after the other? It seems like, okay, I started with one company, then I have an idea for another company and so on. So can you explain us that process? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I, I um, you know, different things work for different people. Like if you listen to a lot of the experts in the entrepreneurship for a start, they'll say, never start your own company on your own. You need two, two founders. Um, you need um, or, or three. That, that is the ideal size. For me, I always prefer to be the sole founder for various reasons. Now, I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> I have ideas all the time, but not all of the ideas are realistic uh, or achievable. So um, I, I do, you know, think about a lot of things and, and, and these ideas all the time, but I only pursue those that I am convinced that A, they will make a difference and B, um, that 
there is a realistic chance of me being able to make it work. I also don't believe in chasing the the funding too early. I believe in validating in, in building a prototype or a uh, you know small product of sorts, then getting it validated by the customer, then getting customers to pay for further development and and go from there. So in my my philosophy. Uh, is, is, is around getting your customers to fund your product development rather than your investors. Now, when you come to a certain size and certain uh, scale, then of course you may need to take some investment from the outside. But uh, to date, we, you know, all, all of my three companies, which are reasonably successful in, in their own right, um, we, we haven't raised any money for them and we have a lot of, you know, paying customers and we are, Turning small profits, but they're all profitable companies. And obviously, with all of those companies, you've had to hire people uh, across, I guess, different levels of expertise and age and diversity across, uh, I guess, many pillars of, of the company. But when you hire people, I'm very interested to know, given your entrepreneurial mindset and your software engineering background, what are the two or three things that really stand out when you when you interview candidates? I guess we're asking this question because this can act as very good advice for young students uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina as well as they embark on their life career journeys. Uh, well, look, I, I actually checked, uh, Eddie, good question. We, we actually did uh, recently because we turned 10 with our first company, GIS people, turned 10. Uh, Congratulations. Early. And uh, thank you. And we looked at how many people we've hired, um, including contractors and permanent staff and consultants for various clients. And over those 10 years, we've hired almost 500 people. So we've actually, just in that one company, you know, we've, do, we've done a lot of hiring. And my, uh, I've been involved with, with well, I wouldn't say all, but probably 90% of, of the interviews. Now, what we look for is obviously ability to do the job. You don't necessarily look for a person to be an expert in the field from day one, but you want someone who has a fairly good understanding of of what the job is. Obviously, they need to have some skills. They need to show a lot of interest and um, and, and care. They need to care about that uh, what what they will be doing because clearly, when when you know when you hire people and they're just coming in for you know for the money or for for something else, um, they won't last. And and most of my long term employees that. Uh, I've hired uh, and who are still with, with us uh, after many, many years, I guess the common uh, attributes among those people has been uh, they had the right attitude. They, they really cared about making the difference, doing the job. I've done a lot of hire, hiring when, when I got it wrong and um, I just hired people because I thought they, they were an expert, but they were a very bad culture fit for us. So and uh, that was an absolute disaster in some cases. Uh, even when you bring people from the outside and you think, well, I'll, I'll try to make it work. I'll try to, um, you know, yes, I know they're awkward, very awkward, and uh, but I'll, I'll try. That doesn't work because you, you, want, you want people to be able to work with other people that are in the company and, and not um, outsiders that come and um, cause uh, havoc. You know, you, when you finish your degree, when you finish your studies, you will learn a lot in your studies, but there is a lot more out there in the real world that you know you still uh, don't know too much about it, and and don't be afraid about it. 
embrace the opportunity to learn, find out uh, where you want to work. There are many companies, there are many opportunities these days. Um, so focus on what you want to be doing. Try to find a good mentor early on. That has helped me immensely. When I first started, I was very lucky to um, work with a um, very, very good mentor who eventually ended up working in my company. So he's he's actually now working in, in, in GIS people. Um, but, you know, we go back now 20 plus years now. For example, as an IT company, uh, we have a split of 60-40, 60% males and 40% females. We are not looking for any special quotas, but that's that's what our company ended up like. Um, and also, if you look at our company, we don't pick people because of their, um, you know, ethnicity or, or race or anything. But, you know, we have people from all over the world. Uh, we employ people from Indonesia, I, uh, India, China, obviously Bosnia, uh, England, uh, we have Germany, France, and many, many other countries. So despite the fact that we are a small company of some 35 people, I, I believe we have about 15 or 16 different countries represented in our company. And that diversity is actually very important uh, because it gives you a, uh, a, a broader outlook and, 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 and better, I guess, ideas than you can come up if you only hire people from, you know, that are similar to one another or of similar type, similar skill sets, similar way of thinking. I always look for uh, broader perspectives and I also like to be challenged personally. I, I don't I look for people who are what we call yes men, who are trying to tell their boss or, or um, people they work with only what they want to hear. Uh, I, I really enjoy working with people who are able to provide um, constructive criticism and, you know, obviously in a very positive way and point out what they would be doing different or what they would like to change in a company. That to me is one of the most valuable types of feedback I can ever have as an employer. You know, people who are coming to work, observing things and then sharing their observations in terms of how, how can we make our company better? How can we make our products better? How can we position ourselves so our customers see us as, as providing more value? Um, and, and, and if people don't speak up, obviously, they keep it to themselves. You never really get that feedback. So I actively encourage uh, and, and young people in particular, because they, you know, they are not, um, if I can use the term, not, not uh, compromised by having you know, spent years and years or decades in, in corporate jobs. So what they bring to uh, their employers is fresh ideas, very fresh outlook on, on the world, which is extremely useful and beneficial to their employers. So the employer, like, for example, I'll give you an example. We recently promoted a person who has been with us only for a few months and he's only a recent graduate, but we promoted him to a team lead position uh, because he cared so much and he really uh, put a lot of effort into, into his job. And um, that was not, not just observed by me, but it was obviously seen by many others. And we recognized it because um we don't, we don't uh, in our company, uh, promote people just based on their age or how long they've been with the company. We look for people with the best ideas, with the right attitude, with, with the right amount of skills and knowledge to drive our company forward. From my experience, you really have to do a lot of hiring 
to learn, you know, what to look for. And, and then when the person is in front of you, you need to know how to ask them the right questions to assess, you know, if they are the right culture fit for, uh, for your organization. Very, very good insight, Igor. I really uh, admire the fact that you've been involved in most of your recruiting in the company. I guess that's what gives you a lot of validity in giving this advice. So for all the young listeners out there, there you go. Uh, that's all we have time for in today's podcast. I just want to thank you again on behalf of myself and Aida Hajic, uh, my co-host, and also Lamia Gutic, who's not here with us today, but she played a big role in facilitating uh, the questions and did a bit of research on your background. I, I would like to add, first of all, thank you for having me on the program. Just quickly, if you have great ideas and, uh, you know, but you never take any action, your ideas are not worth anything. You need to really, you know, you need to take an action. As they say, you know, a long trip of 10,000 steps, you know, starts with your first step. So you actually need to, to believe in yourself and, and, you know, think that you can achieve something. And, and, you know, it's amazing that a lot of people, you know, are capable of a lot of things, but they just don't have that confidence. So I'll, I'll leave you tonight with that thought, see what difference you could be making and uh, think about if you want to do it through your current employer, there's nothing wrong about that. Or if you would like to start your own business and um, take it to the great heights. So thank you both. And um, it was a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Igor. And for all of our listeners, no matter where you are, I know many of you listen to us from San Francisco all the way to China and Australia. Thank you very much for being with us here today. Goodbye from Brisbane, Melbourne and Sarajevo. Thank you.